Hello, and welcome to Vibrant Potential. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Frickman. Today's show is a teaching show. If you're fatigued and you don't know why, if you have weird joint pains that come and go or move around from one place to another on your body, if you're a bright person, you know you're sharp or quick-witted at times, and then at other times you are frustratingly hindered by brain fog, I urge you to listen to today's show. There are so many reasons for these symptoms, and as a functional medicine doctor and a health coach, I see a lot of it in my patients and clients. If you have been searching for a cause and haven't found one, though, this is a good episode to listen to. My guest today is Dr. Lori Radofsky. She has a private practice here in Minnesota. She's a medical doctor, and I truly appreciate her functional approach to health. Dr. Radofsky and I have co-treated patients together in the past. In fact, that's how I first met her. She's one of the very few experts in Lyme disease I would trust to send my patients to. Today, we scan over what could be a very large topic in Lyme disease. We talk about the difference between acute and chronic Lyme. We sort of skirt around the politics, try not to get too far in, but there are some politics involved and why some doctors don't even believe that chronic Lyme is real. We talk a little about co-infections and if Lyme disease can be sexually transmitted, what kind of tests might be good to run, how to know if you have Lyme disease, and a bunch more stuff. Dr. Radovsky also does a great job of succinctly demystifying something called a biofilm. For those of you who've heard of a biofilm, you know what I mean. And if you haven't heard of a biofilm, It's one reason you may start to feel better and then fall back into your symptoms over and over and over. This is worth the listen just in of itself if you get to know what this is. If you have unexplained fatigue, pain that won't go away, reduced cognitive powers or altered moods, and you'd like some help, listen to this podcast and then go to my website www.drchrisfrickman.com. If you fill out the form on the homepage, just let me know what your health challenges or your health goals are. I'll get back to you within a day and I'll let you know if you qualify for a free health consult. You can also find the show notes over on the podcast page for this episode and all of the other podcast episodes. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Vibrant Potential. We provide you with everything you need to know to overcome stress, fatigue, and chronic health challenges, as well as optimizing your performance in fitness, relationship, and business. We use integrative health solutions and functional medicine strategies, including brain-based approaches, inspired fitness tips, emotional intelligence coaching, and spiritual growth techniques, so you can live the life you want, connect deeply with others, and fulfill your vibrant potential. Your host is functional medicine expert, genetic biohacker, and triathlon coach, Dr. Chris Frickman. Dr. Lori Radofsky, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Oh, thank you for having me. Yeah, you bet. I know that you are an expert in Lyme disease, and that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to we're going to kind of uncover some of the hopefully the myths and the truths and stuff about Lyme disease because when when you just go to Dr. Google and ask ask Dr. Google about Lyme disease, you can find quite a few different things. Uh, I mean, you'll even see like some people 
some doctors don't believe, quote unquote, believe in Lyme disease and whatnot. There are show notes for this, and it's going to be at drchrisfrickman.com slash Lyme disease. Lyme is L-Y-M-E, and then there's no S or anything. It's not Lyme's disease, it's Lyme disease. So drchrisfrickman.com slash Lyme disease to get show notes about uh, where you can find Dr. Radovsky and where you can find like some other resources that we're going to be talking about today. So check that out. Can we start off, doctor, by telling a little bit about what what's just tell us how could how could there be some doctors that say there's Lyme disease and some doctors that say that there's not? Yeah. I mean, that's it, the place to start. Yeah, I mean, it, it it sounds kind of crazy. It's like saying, you know, is the Earth round or is the Earth not round? Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think you know, there's probably more controversies in medicine, even among conventional doctors. Uh, about conventional things than the public necessarily knows. I think sure. all doctors believe that there's such a thing as acute Lyme disease. I mean, we know that if you get bitten by a tick and you get a bullseye rash and you start having joint pain, that you probably have acute Lyme disease. And everyone would agree that those patients need to be treated. So I think where the controversy comes in in how aggressively those patients need to be treated and then if they have received what is considered adequate treatment, which in most cases is something as short as one single dose of antibiotics or perhaps up to 10 days of antibiotics, if the patient still has symptoms when they're done with that treatment, are they still really sick with Lyme disease or is it what is now being termed post-infectious Lyme disease syndrome, Oh gosh. which means that it's some kind of an autoimmune reaction, the bugs are gone and your body is just damaged in some way and you're reacting against a past infection. There's a lot of politics involved, which we don't have the time and I certainly don't have the stomach to go into. But I think that the bottom line is that there is mounting evidence that the infection can persist, that even with adequate rapid treatment, that there's a subset of people who remain very ill. And some of them are just a little bit ill, and some of them actually are completely incapacitated and bedridden. And in fact, there's even an association between illnesses like multiple sclerosis, Parkinson's disease, Lou Gehrig's disease, um, some cases of which may actually have their roots in Lyme disease. And there are cases where patients are treated with antibiotics and actually improve from those supposedly chronic illnesses. Are you saying that you believe that the spirochetes may be actually causing what we are almost, would it be a misinterpretation that it's MS or ALS or something? Or yeah. is it actually MS, but that was just caused by, clarify what you mean by association. Yeah, it sounds pretty strange, but that's exactly what we think. I mean, that's obviously like the worst case scenario where someone has a, a chronic degenerative illness that may actually be an infectious disease. And once it's treated, it actually improves. Um, so I'm not saying that all people with multiple sclerosis or rheumatoid arthritis or whatever these illnesses are actually have Lyme disease, but there are right. some people that get tested and they're mm -hmm. positive and they get mm -hmm. treated and they get better. And so if you have an illness that has no known cure, why not look for a possible explanation that can ultimately lead to improvement? And right. that's the thing. Absolutely. Like so that just to kind of like hit that really quick, it is possible that, I mean, people think that if they're diagnosed with a disease, boom, that's the truth. Yes, they but, were smitten 
with this disease and that's their reality for the that's, rest of their life. Right, and that's it. And the interesting thing is, and the thing that's, I think, very, very valuable for people to know, in some ways it can be very comforting to get a, even if it's like super scary and it's even maybe a, a very high mortality rate kind of disease, like it's a scary thing. There's a certain level of comfort and like some anxiety can go away just because you quote unquote, now I know what it is. Exactly. Of. Yeah. And and so that's kind of, in some ways, that's nice. And, and I'm not trying to take that away from people. But at the same time, it's good to know that you can keep looking for answers. Like you said, I've had people in my office that have been diagnosed with MS and Parkinson's and actually a variety of things. And, you know, MS supposedly doesn't have a cure. Right. right. But when we make all their symptoms go away, and, and I, I say we, but, you know, I'm not like, I am definitely not saying that I have a cure for MS here, people. Like, just make sure that you're hearing this right. But I've had people be in the office. They had been diagnosed by, by their medical doctor, their neurologist, and, and through a course of treatment with me and, and sometimes with some other practitioners, whatever, it's, you know, everybody's different, but... I've seen patients' uh, symptoms in a in a condition like MS completely go away. Yeah, and then they go back, and they even they'll the medical doctor like they'll they'll want to get a they'll get the brain scan. Or yeah, they'll do MRI the brain scan, and it's like, whatever, yeah. oh, um, that's weird. Like it's gone, and and they won't say like, oh, the MS has been cured. They'll say, oops, I guess we were wrong. I guess yeah, I guess you didn't have MS. MS. Yeah. yeah, it yeah. wasn't MS. Well, and that's that's the awesome thing about an integrative medicine approach is that we have so many more tools in our toolbox, and we can use functional medicine and homeopathy and chiropractic and herbal medicine and and all the other things to take a different perspective and use a different paradigm to treat things that are chronic illnesses. Um, You know, it's just too bad that an infectious disease, which you would think that conventional medicine knows how to treat, um, is, is getting dumped in our laps and we're using the tools that we have to help people. Right. So just to make sure that I, that, that we really clarified this, because I don't want people to listen to this and then be done and then not understand acute Lyme disease. I'm just going to kind of hit it. I'm going to try to like boil it down and you correct me if, if I miss anything or if I'm wrong on anything here, basically that's what most people have heard of. You get bit by a deer tick is usually the vector. And, and then if you're lucky, then you, you get like this bullseye mark and it, and you can, you notice it and you see it and, and maybe you even saw the tick or maybe you didn't see the tick, but at least you saw this bullseye and then you go in and then the traditional medical doctor will run a test. And what's that test called? So the, the test that is usually used is a two-step test. The first part of the test is called an ELISA test. And if that's negative, they usually stop right there. If it's positive, they then go on to a Western blot, which is a more sensitive version of the test. And if that's negative, they say, well, I guess the, the ELISA was just a false positive and you don't really have it. The problem is that this is a bacteria that is incredibly good at cloaking itself and suppressing our immune system. And so if you are bitten and immediately go in, 
you know, nobody expects your immune response to immediately be positive. It can take up to six weeks for the, the test to be positive. And often, even if somebody has an infection, the bacteria is able to evade our detection and the test is negative. So there, you know, studies will say that the test is, the conventional test is anywhere from 20 to 80% sensitive, which means it's going to miss anywhere from 20 to 80% of the cases. So if a test is negative, it doesn't mean somebody doesn't have it. Um, And obviously if you either never have symptoms or the symptoms go away with a short course of treatment, then there's no reason to think you still have Lyme disease. But it's the patients that a month or two later are starting to have like joint pain and they feel more fatigued. Those are the ones that I worry about. Yeah. And just to, not that we're trying to like make people into doctors here, but just so that people understand that this isn't some weird thing, you know, because I, I just think there's so much around Lyme that it's like, oh, we don't even believe in that. that yeah, that's, you know, yeah. Whatever. But you're talking about 20 to 80 percent uh, sensitive and stuff. I just want to point out the fact that essentially every test that we do in medicine has a certain amount of false positives and false negatives. Correct. Uh, and the, and we we just accept that there's a because we can't not accept. I mean, it's just the fact. It just is the what it is that that no none of the tests are that we do in medicine are are hundred percent accurate. They just aren't. Right. And and we know some of them are like actually horribly inaccurate. But it's sort of like the best thing that we have. Yeah. So what are, what so, the heck, you know? Yeah. We just keep and so doing I actually them. I tell people don't even bother to do the test. Just go ahead and treat if you think that you might have had a tick bite and you might have gotten infected. Because there certainly is a risk of 10 days or 20 days of antibiotics. You can get an allergic reaction. You breed resistance. Um, we destroy our gut bacteria. But when you when you compare that to the risk of being completely disabled potentially from chronic Lyme disease, I definitely think that it's worth it. Right. Absolutely. Um, and so, hmm. so here's where I want to go because in my practice, I have seen people with, with Lyme. We've found out that they do have Lyme because I've done a, I've done a, a host of testing with them. That's it's, more expensive, but it's a lot more complete as well. Right. Um, and actually, we should point out that we're t- we've been trashing the conventional test, and there are other labs yeah. that are much more accurate. I mean, they're still not 100%, but there is a, currently a blood culture, and there's an expanded Western blot from a company in California called Igenix that mm-hmm. a lot of people will use. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Right. And just to be clear, I'm not trying to trash anybody, actually, but I'm I'm just trying to point out some of like the whatever the strengths and some of the weaknesses in just like a real way right. and and Igenix, uh is actually the the company there's more than one company but Igenix is the company that I've used too what I've done in my practice is because I'm a functional medicine doctor I I help people with a, a host of different symptoms and and I treat the I really treat the human the person not the not the disease and that's yeah. why we can sometimes see those reversals of quote unquote disease like signs and symptoms that it doesn't make sense in traditional medicine it's because well we're not treating the disease i don't treat ms i treat yeah. i treat humans and sometimes those things kind of reverse yes yeah 
So with with Lyme, when I find someone that tests positive through any test, but Igenix is what I've used, I I refer out. I refer to a medical doctor because because I'm a chiropractor. I don't mm-hmm. I don't have the right to prescribe. That's not my scope of practice to prescribe drugs, um, and and usually antibiotics are called for in in Lyme disease. I've actually seen patients that had no idea, they've never seen a tick, they've never had a bullseye that they that they were aware of at least. Mm-hmm. And but we've done just a lot of stuff like detox and we're looking at their nutrition and and we're we're balancing brain and and we're doing like a lot of the stuff that I tend to do. Mhm. And sometimes it's like we can't find any answers. Like, why are they still having all these horrible symptoms? So I want people to know that they don't necessarily have to have seen a bullseye or or even a tick or or either to, to wonder, to be suspicious of this chronic Lyme. So can you go over like some symptoms and, and like who who should be thinking, oh, gosh, maybe I have Lyme? Yeah. Or, you know, who yeah. should be thinking about that? Yeah, that's a really good point, Chris, because only about a third of people that have documented Lyme disease know that they had a tick bite. And the range of people who actually had the classic bullseye rash, um, it's probably as low as about a quarter, Mm. maybe as high as three quarters. But, you know, it's that still is is pretty low statistics. Um, So part of the problem with diagnosing Lyme is the symptoms can be so, so different from patient to patient. Um, sometimes patients will be diagnosed with tick-borne illnesses uh, by a gastroenterologist. Their main symptoms are gastrointestinal or by a psychiatrist. So we think of the, the typical symptoms as being this migrating joint pain. You know, your knees hurt and then a week later it's your elbow and then it's your shoulder. Um, and so the triad that I think that I think of are the joint pain, fatigue. Particularly if the joint pain is migrating? Yes, and brain fog. People will just not be as sharp as they usually are. Um, But a lot of the symptoms... And does that tend to come and go, do you find? The brain, yes. Do, do, they, ha- do they have like days or, or even a week or something oh, where it's yeah. like, oh God, I felt great. And, yeah. then, and now I feel like crap again or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Um, in terms of the profile, I think probably the closest profile of Lyme symptoms is what we currently call fibromyalgia. Now, fibromyalgia became a respectable diagnosis about a decade ago or so when the pharmaceutical industry came up with some treatments for it. And then all of a sudden, because we had treatments for it, and I, I'm sorry, I'm sounding very cynical, but, um, no, but not, there, not at all. There were, you know, 10 years ago, seven years ago, many doctors didn't believe in fibromyalgia. And now I think it's, it's a much more respectable diagnosis. But if you look at, I just this, hate, I hate that. <laughs> I hate when people say I believe in it or I don't believe yeah, in it. That's yeah. like I, like when I was in chiropractic school. I don't tend to hear it as much anymore. But when I was in chiropractic school, I would hear things like, well, I don't believe in chiropractic or something. I'm like, wait, you know, <laughs> kind of like I'll, I'll pat myself down. like, yeah. <laughs> But what? I, I'm right here. What do you mean? You, you don't believe in me? You think I'm a figment of your imagination? I, I'm a chiropractor. <laughs> I exist. Like, don't say you don't believe in it. That doesn't make any sense. Like, you know, I mean, you might not agree with, like, the classification that we decide. I mean, 
fibromyalgia isn't a thing or not a thing just because we decide to call it fibromyalgia. I mean, right. it's a diagnosis is just some people that are sort of in power in the medical system have decided we're going to call this uh, you know constellation of symptoms symptoms and signs we're going to yeah. call this fibromyalgia and yeah. and we're going to have these things that you know the it must be met that you know the patient has these things or three there's five possibilities and they have to have at least three of them or whatever, yeah, you know, whether yeah. it's metabolic syndrome or Lyme mm-hmm. disease or, you know, whatever, 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 they're yeah. all the same. And well, I mean, but, but pe- people have pain and it, it can be unexplained. And right. sometimes now we call it fibro, right? <laughs> yeah. But, but I think that the point of, of whether people believe in it or not is really important because if you feel crummy and on top of that, your boss, your spouse, your family thinks you're just making it up, mm. like that's adding insult to injury. But if there is a bona fide diagnosis with an ICD-10 code and you can apply for disability under it and you can get FMLA time off from your your job when you're having a fibro flare, mm. you know, that that does make a big difference. But you're absolutely right in the sense that that it still doesn't explain why these people are sick. You know, it's not like God cursed them with these symptoms. There must be some explanation. And for some people, not everybody, but for some, it's it's Lyme disease. Hmm. Oh, man, I feel like that is, for me, kind of a, a wormhole or whatever that, that we could go down. Because now you're bringing up the legal system and like government programs and stuff like that and it's like uh, i'm already i mean partly you're pointing to like this diagnosis of like well if my spouse doesn't believe me or so and so some other human doesn't believe me Mm -hmm. it's like well why why does your spouse need there to be like a medic, a person with a medical license has to say that there's a real thing wrong for you to believe that I'm in pain a lot and I'm yeah. tired a lot or whatever. Like what, what yeah. is that? And, yeah. and then in the legal system, that that's the way our legal system. And I think it's kind of a weak system a lot of times, but it's, that's the way our system works is that it's like, well, we can't just, we can't just give everyone disability that wants disability. So we have to have these like criteria. And that's like, that's a whole different there's like the medical politics and then there's like government politics yeah, and there's like, yeah. like so you're kind of like <laughs> just brushing on a whole bunch of like crazy things here yeah really quick let me go back you said there was a tr- you, you felt there's a triad that you look at of of symptoms and migrating joint pain and intermittent brain fog were two of them and i missed the third one fatigue is the other one Oh, oh, okay. Just fatigue. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, one of the things that we haven't talked about yet is the co-infection. So yes. ticks are kind of like dirty needles. They don't just have one kind of parasite or bacteria or virus in them. They often have multiple kinds of infective agents. And so if somebody is just infected with Borrelia, with the bacteria that causes Lyme disease, they're likely to have kind of more of a classic presentation where they'll have that triad. If somebody is also infected with uh, an organism called Bartonella, they're likely to have abdominal pain and the soles of their feet hurt and they'll have 
and large lymph nodes. So there's a, there's kind of a constellation of symptoms that I think of uh, representing the different kinds of co-infections, but that also makes it just that much more complicated. You know, somebody that comes down with a summer flu where they suddenly have, a, they've been outdoors and then they suddenly have a terrible high fever and they feel horrible and they never feel quite themselves after that, that to me suggests a kind of infection called Babesia. So, so it's, it's much more complicated than, than that. But you, if you don't think about something, you're not going to diagnose it. And so Mm -hmm. I think our index of suspicion for Lyme disease needs to be a lot higher than it is. Now, why are they called co-infections? Because that's different than a secondary infection, right? I mean, like, so like, so people understand, I mean, again, correct me if I'm wrong, but my understanding of a secondary infection is like, okay, like you get one illness and then your immune system is, is compromised and then it's like easier to get a second illness, essentially. Right, And yeah. that's a secondary illness. What's a, or a secondary infection? But yeah, what, yeah. What's a co-infection? So co-infection is when you get infected with more than one thing at the same time. So Why does that when always that happen with Lyme? You, well, because when the tick bites you, it doesn't inject things sequentially. You get everything that's in it hmm. at the same time. Hmm. But you're also bringing up another really fascinating question. Um, I think that Lyme disease is a lot like AIDS for a couple different reasons. One is, you know, obviously there's a lot of political stuff about it, but um, Borrelia is able to suppress our immune systems. So it comes in and it lets other infections that come into your system at the same time, run rampant in our system more than if they didn't have the Borrelia. But the other thing that they do is that they reactivate infections. This is where that kind of secondary infection or an opportunistic infection comes in. So, you know, if you had mono when you were 20, that Epstein-Barr virus never left your system. It's not making too much trouble, hopefully. It's dormant. But when Borrelia comes into your system and your immune system is suppressed, the EBV, the Epstein-Barr virus, can come back out. And then you start having sore throats and fevers and more fatigue. So this is, this is the most fascinating, complex kind of infectious disease. Um, and it's really challenging to treat. And I, I don't expect all doctors to be able to treat it. I mean, it's kind of like saying to everybody, oh, you should be able to treat AIDS. You know, it's it's a very specialized kind of training with, you know, very, very interesting, but very complex interplay of, of different infections. But hopefully, hopefully doctors can do what I said that, that I do essentially is like, hopefully you can, it's on your radar enough that you can, you can test for it. And if it's positive, refer out for it. Or if you don't even want to test for it, at least refer to someone that could test for it or something. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and here's the problem. There is a tremendous shortage of doctors who believe in this. And some of it is that it's it's very complicated work. Um, I recently started a private practice because I was trying to treat uh, Lyme disease patients in a conventional practice, and I just didn't have the time to do it. And um, there's also a tremendous amount of... um, of stigma to it. I mean, I've had other doctors that I used to have good relationships with basically say that I'm, you know, that I'm a quack, 
that I'm treating something that doesn't exist, that I'm just in it for the money. And so with reactions like that, I can see where there are a lot of doctors who between the complexity of the care and the, you know, the politics of it, that they're not going there. So there's, I mean, every Lyme doctor that I know of has huge waiting lists of people clamoring to get in to be seen. Um, and so it's great to know who to refer to, but unfortunately, it's hard for people to get in still. Right. I mean, I'm always like playing the devil's advocate. And of course, I mean, I hear you say there's a long line of people clamoring to get in. And I, I guess I'm going to just say, I don't think that proves that Lyme exists exactly because I mean there's just there's a lot of people that are looking for answers in some way so the detractors would say like you're taking advantage of these poor people that don't have any answers kind of you know and but that's not what I think I mean I'm not saying I think that I'm just saying that's not to me that's not proof oh sure yeah but but um, but it is hard if somebody thinks that they have Lyme or they've been to a healthcare provider that thinks that they might have Lyme to find someone who can then go ahead and treat them for it. That's yeah. oh, that's the real tragedy. Hard. The weird part about it to me is, is I don't understand why we're talking about if we believe in it or not. I mean, we we can run these tests and we can see whatever Borrelia, Bigdorfi, mm-hmm. and I, I can't yeah. remember all of the all of the different you know spirochetes and all their different yeah. names and stuff. But but they're there. And the patient has symptoms. We we find a bug. I mean, why would you say it doesn't exist? It's right there. What are you talking yeah, about? Yeah, yeah. No, I I totally agree with you. But I think what happened was that um, Alan Steer, the person who identified Lyme disease in Lyme, Connecticut, um, was actually trained as a rheumatologist, and so it was a lot easier for him to make that leap to our bodies create these autoimmune reactions. Um, And I'm not really sure how the Infectious Disease Society of America kind of went down that path of there is no such thing as chronic Lyme. But part of the problem is that the more the more evidence comes out, the more entrenched they become. Um, And at some point, you know, the evidence is just going to be overwhelming. But, you know, they'll still say, oh, hygienics, not a not an accurate lab. That's their uh, so are they you know, saying, the lab's not correct. Are the detractors saying that they they don't believe that those bugs are really there, or are they saying yeah yeah they're there, but who cares? We all have a lot of bugs, and it's not we don't believe that those bugs are are making any problems for right. us. Right, they're saying that um, that this that people are not actively infected, that they don't have the bugs, that they have a syndrome that's related to so having they, had so it in the So they past. don't believe those bugs are there yeah. at all. Even though there are some really fascinating studies where people with, um, with, with these so-called unexplained symptoms have, uh, in a laboratory setting, had ticks attach them up. The ticks obviously were tested to make sure that they were sterile ticks. So we know that they, there wasn't anything in them before the ticks would feed on these patients and then the ticks are attached to, (laughs) I know kind of gross, but you know, everything in the name of science, right. Then they take the ticks and they'd attach them to other animals and test the animals for the Lyme bacteria and be able to identify evidence of the Lyme bacteria. Um, you know, so there, there's, there are more and more studies that are, are proving that 
this is an ongoing infection. Oh, those it's an the people infection. in this research, they already had, they were diagnosed with Lyme? Is that- no, they had these like weird, unexplained symptoms that were consistent oh, with Lyme. Okay, so okay, okay, it's, it. it's, it's doing two things. One is it's saying that the patients with an unexplained syndrome that, you know, looks like post-treatment Lyme syndrome actually has Lyme disease and that it can be proven by growing the bacteria out or looking for immunity in in other animals. So, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to make it up. And then, you know, I don't know if you want to go down the rabbit hole of possible sexual transmission. We know that it can be transmitted from mother to fetus. Um, oh, now, you know what? Um, now you're getting into something I had not even heard of. I didn't know that it could be sexually transmitted. I didn't know well, about that. We think it can be sexually transmitted. There was a, a great study recently that looked at um, looking for genetic evidence of Lyme disease in semen and in vaginal secretions. And it was found in 50% of the semen samples and 100% of the vaginal secretions. Now, that doesn't mean that those are infectious. What we really need to do is start looking at couples who share the same infection. And you can actually type infections and see that there is um, that it's genetically the same bacteria that's causing the husband and the wife or the two partners to have the symptoms. Oh but man! Nobody's had time to do that kind of testing. I know. Uh, or, I, yeah. I obviously know so much about medicine and health, and you know, I mean, I'm hosting this podcast. I'm trying to give people answers, and honestly, now that you're talking about that, my head is starting to spin. So I feel bad for people that are out there, <laughs> yeah. like trying to get answers because I'm like, well, hold on a second. I definitely know people that have chronic Lyme, and they're married. I'm a, assuming they're sexually active, and, and with their with their spouse, and their spouse doesn't have any symptoms. Ah, so well, here's a really important point. What we think is that the majority of people are able to fight off the Lyme bacteria. I mean, think about it evolutionarily. For for thousands of years, we didn't have antibiotics. And the best way that somebody could survive an infection would be to have a really strong immune system that could basically beat back an infection and make it dormant. I mean, think about chickenpox. When we get chickenpox as kids, the, back, the virus never leaves our system. And it can come out later when our immune system is suppressed. Or tuberculosis, where you can get the tuberculosis bug and not have any symptoms for decades. So that probably is a model of how most people are able to deal with Lyme. But what we think is that about 20% of people have an immune system that, you know, you're familiar with functional medicine, you know that there's tremendous genetic variability from person to person. And that 20% of people are the ones that end up with the chronic Lyme. So if you're lucky, you're married to someone who is in the 80%, and mm. even if it is sexually transmissible, you're not going to give it to them. Whew. Wow. Okay. I know. Crazy stuff. A whole other thing to think about. Um, you know, you're talking about a suppressed immune system, and um, early on you said something like cloaked, cloaking yes. or something. Yes. can't remember the exact words you used, but you said basically it hides. Uh, is it appropriate to talk about biofilms right now? Oh, I love biofilms. Well, I hate biofilms, (laughs) but I love the idea. It's like something out of a science fiction story. So a biofilm is actually present everywhere in 
in, in the world. So when you wake up in the morning, before you brush your teeth, they feel a little bit mossy. That's a biofilm. Um, if you take your boat out of the water at the end of the season and there's a bunch of algae and barnacles and stuff, that's a mm. biofilm. Mm. What's really amazing is that bacteria and fungi can form these fallout shelters. The analogy that I make is it's kind of like your the old jello salads that, you know, you have the jello salad out of the mold and you have a bunch of the fruit in it or mm-hmm, little shredded mm-hmm. carrots or something. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly what a biofilm looks like. The bacteria and the viruses and the fungi create these proteins that create a slimy matrix and they hide inside. So as you can imagine, antibiotics can't get in. Your immune system can't attack it. Mm -hmm. And as soon as you're done with antibiotics, the biofilm releases its bacteria and you're right back where you started. God, that's crazy. How do the biofilms, I mean, how do... That, how do they happen? Well, not how do they happen. Why? I mean, it just seems crazy. Like, it's like, okay, now, now we're ready. Like, now let's get released or something. Like, Well, probably what happens is during the, the life of the biofilm, the, all of the organisms inside are multiplying. And every once in a while, it's kind of like a, vo- a volcano. They'll kind of barf out this whole bunch of mm. their you know, the infective organisms and then close back over. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, and, and I don't know how they know when it's safe to come out. I mean, <laughs> maybe they just keep on, you know. Yeah. They're breeding out. until yeah, whatever, yeah. until they can't have any yeah. room and then they go. Yeah. I mean, so how do we, how do you deal with biofilms? Do you just kind of keep treating the thing like long enough that like, I mean, do you do anything to get rid of biofilms? I've oh yeah. Okay, yeah. so talk to talk to me well, about that really quick. Yeah, I, I think or can't you really quick? <laughs> no. Okay. If you don't treat biofilms, people are likely to relapse. And so I actually use products. There are a bunch of different things, but what you need are things that are chelators and things that will break the bonds. So there are a bunch of different pr- uh, products on. Uh, on the market, there's, you know, serapeptase and, and natokinase and, um, you know, EDTA is something that will help break the mineral bonds between the, um, mm. you know, the, the slimy matrix. So there certainly are products out there. There are actually some... And those, those um, products are all used for different things too, actually. Right, yeah. And some antibiotics actually have um, uh, effectiveness against biofilms as well. Hmm. So, Very yeah, it's, it's fascinating. All right, so... Certainly, if people have migrating joint pain, intermittent brain fog, and fatigue, that would be a good idea to get checked out for Lyme disease. Yeah. And, and who else? I mean, who, who needs to know about this? Yeah. So I think anybody that has a diagnosis of fibromyalgia or chronic fatigue syndrome, okay. um, they really owe it to themselves to get checked out, checked out for this because it's a, a reversible cause. Um, and, you know, I think anybody who has things that a conventional doctor has not been able to explain, yeah. it's really worth it's, looking it's in the, at the It's options. in the differential diagnosis list. Absolutely. It's, it's yeah. not, not everybody, but a certain percentage of people will have it. Okay. And let's say that, let's say someone comes into your office, they, uh, you find that they do have Lyme. Of course, everyone's an individual. It's going to vary. But what's kind of an average time frame for the treatment? Because it takes a while, more than 10 days. So oh, I, just want, yeah. I want people to have like some kind of an idea of what they could expect. 
Yeah. Well, a lot of it depends on how long somebody's been sick. So if somebody comes in and they said, three weeks ago I got bitten and now I have symptoms, they may be able to respond to just a couple of months of antibiotics. If somebody said, I got bitten, you know, six or eight months ago, that's obviously going to take more time. And I tell people, you know, just a ballpark figure, I'm going to say six months, it might not be that long, but you know, it might. And if someone has been sick for five, 10, 20 years, they may need years and years of antibiotics and other supportive natural treatments to get well. Wow, years and years. So you're talking like two or like 10 or 100 or what? <laughs> two, well, hopefully not 100, so, but probably at least a couple years. Okay. Sometimes people will get well and then they'll relapse. And so there are people who say, you know, I have to kind of admit that I'm probably just going to need antibiotics off and on for the rest of my life. Wow, but a couple really? years, three years is, you know, if, if you haven't gotten better during that amount of time, you're missing something. And I think you need to go back and say, what's what's holding me back? Are there heavy metals involved? Is there some kind of, you know, gut dysbiosis? Looking at it more from the functional medicine. And that's actually why I partner a lot with people who do functional medicine, with naturopaths and functional medicine doctors, because I think it really works better as a team effort. And even though I can do some of that, when I get stuck, I want someone who has more expertise with... Two heads are better than one, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, where's your new practice? I am on Raymond Avenue in St. Paul, Minnesota. Oh, St. Paul. Okay. Okay. So if someone's in the Twin Cities, they could come check you out. Um, if they're listening and they're in South Africa or Australia or... San Diego, California. Um, what's a good resource that people could start to, you know, find a, if they're if they're understanding, if it's communicating what you're saying, someone that has your philosophy, they don't want to have to like go into their medical doctor and and have them be laughed out of the office. Where do they go? What's a resource for them? Well, I think a great resource is the International Lyme and Associated Diseases Society or ILADS, and their website is ilads.org. Um, and there are tremendous support groups in many states and in many countries across the, the world. And so if people just Google Lyme support group or, you know, Lyme, uh, Lyme disease, they're often directed to people that can help them with support and uh, give them advice about where they can get more information. But ILADS does have a list of, um, of trained providers that people can contact uh, if they feel like they need care. Nice. Okay. All right. Well, I mean, there are still certainly questions that are unanswered here. I mean, there's, this is like, you can go as deep as you want to go, basically. One of the things that I love, though, is that clearly there are people like you that have training in this and that are able to at least give some answers on an, like more of an individual basis, of course, because everyone's going to be different. But I'm really glad that we were able to clear up some of the differences and what what this whole thing is about like pe some people not believing it and stuff like that, which always just seems, you know, I don't like that way of saying it, but it's, yeah, it's, it's what people yeah. say. It's what people yeah. say. So. Well, and I think it's, it's so hard on patients to not be believed. Oh, totally. It's, I mean, you need to be, you need to be validated, I think. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And there's, there's a difference between a doctor saying, wow, I really don't know what's going on with you, but I get it that you're suffering yeah. and saying there's nothing wrong with you. And I think you need to see a psychiatrist. 
which unfortunately happens a lot. Right. Which, I mean, and then you're, then, I mean, you're getting into the, the issue that doctors are people too. And a lot of people have egos and, you know, it's like some people that are doctors, not definitely not all, but some people are like, Hey, if, if I don't know about it, it doesn't exist. And you know, whatever that, uh, that, you know, they think they have all the answers and, um, it's, it's a little more rare to have a doctor that, you know, is willing to be vulnerable that way and say like, you know what, I don't know about this. So I don't know. That's just kind of the way it is, I think. And, and as a, as a patient, as a healthcare consumer, you have to just kind of feel people out and decide if it's a good energy that you feel from the right. from the provider. Yeah. Okay. Any last words for people? Things are changing. Um, little by little, things are becoming a little bit uh, easier for Lyme patients and Lyme practitioners. And uh, we'll see what the future brings. Okay. What's your number one health tip for people? It's all about the gut. All about the gut. Yes. Eat healthy. Make sure you have a good microbiome uh, and stay away from the ticks. Okay. Stay away from the ticks. Okay. Sounds good. Okay. Thank you very much. I appreciate your time. Thank you, Chris. Visit drchrisfrickman.com for more cutting edge content, including nutrition and detoxification advice, unique fitness videos, and more. 